Welcome everybody to the Bolt from the Blue podcast, Manchester City 4, Port Vale 1. That was 2-1 to City at halftime, end up 4-1. Here was the lineup. very interesting one it was too. Bravo, Cancelo, Harwood, Bellis, John Stones, Zinchenko, Angelino, Foden, Gundogan and Bernardo Silva. Uh, and uh, there was a double substitution of both those chaps for Tommy Doyle and Riyad Mahrez on the 77th minute. We also had Aguero and Silva, and that was the lineup. And to talk about this game, we have, well, you know who it is by now. First of all, we have Ray Bubbles. How are you doing, Ray? Hey, I'm very good. Okay, and we also have Mr. Colin Savage. Colin, I, I believe that you were um, treading in my footsteps, weren't you, in appearing on the Ian Cheeseman Forever Blue podcast? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my second podcast of the evening. Did you talk about me? Uh, we always talk about you, Mike. <laughs> but, but it won't be going out on air. You know, <laughs> the libel laws and all that, you know. How was it? How was it anyway, that experience? It was uh, described as a City Matters special. So uh, we didn't just talk about City Matters. We talked about the Port Vale game, of course. And we, we could do a series of podcasts on City Matters stuff. So, But yes, it was very good. It's always a pleasure to uh, speak to Ian, you know, a real professional. <laughs> My gosh, guys, I'm reeling from the digs left, right, and centre, and all because he, he has people who make him a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, I'm not in the position to go and get people to make me cups of tea. It's uh, seven o'clock in the morning over here, bright and early in Seoul, South Korea, and we're going to talk. If I can recover from all of these jabs that I'm taking, guys, let's get into this. So, um, yeah, very, very interesting little backstory to this, Ray. Um, who's this guy called um, the Pope or Tom Pope, and why is he um, why is he been getting um, people hot under the collar before this game even got started? He put out a tweet a few months back, basically having a dig at uh, our John Stones. I, f- I think after an England performance, possibly John uh, had made a mistake, and he said, "I'd love to play basically against him every week. I'd score forty a season." For us fans, we take it as a bit of banter. Obviously, it, um, Stones would have been. Um, a little bit narked, his professional pride would have been dented, and possibly you don't do that to a fellow professional. But yeah, he put that tweet out, and uh, as if by magic, he scored a goal. That tweet of his found a lot more legs, and he's put more tweets out to get a little bit more, so to bask in his 15 minutes of fame. Uh, but I think he's done a bit too much basking, and probably got a little bit too big-headed, and he's now been investigated by the FA for some of his uh, tweets that he's put out uh, on other other subject matters. I, I think, uh, well, you live by the sword, you die by the sword as well, Mr. Pope. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I heard that uh, City City uh, Squad invited the Port Vale lads into the dressing room after the game. But I don't think, I don't think that Mr. Pope got um, a welcome embrace from uh, Mr. Stones. He actually made fun of, um, he said Carson um, was really good and spoke to him and chatted with him. 
Uh, and then it's, you're really nice to, about Scott Carson. And then he has a go at Scott Carson, Carson's dentist because Paul Scott, his teeth are a bit uh, all over the place. And uh, uh, it's on Twitter. I was <laughs> I, actually for me, you know me, guys, I was actually very restrained because I got a selfie with the reserve keeper for um, uh, Paul Vale after the game. And I, t- I tell you what, his teeth are worse than uh, Scott Carson's. But I didn't want to put that on Twitter, especially with all, you know, I thought that was, was a little bit, um, would have been a little bit naughty to, to do that. Well, Colin Savage, we had both in this game, uh, Zinchenko and Angelino playing. And I guess it caused a, a few uh, scratches of the head, uh, basically trying to figure out before the game started uh, which one was going to be at left back and which one was going to be in midfield and so how did that well, turn out? Well it wasn't much clearer when the game kicked off actually <laughs> um, because I mean looking at the lineup before the game it looked like we had a, a flat back four of um, Cancelo, Harabellis, Stones and Angelino with Sinchenko in midfield, Gundogan anchoring and um, Sinchenko in midfield when they lined up it was actually a back three with Sinchenko as part of that back three uh, Angelino and Cancello as wing-back. So you just never know without Pep, do you? You never know indeed. And Colin, staying with you, how were the opening exchanges? How did it look to be progressing before our first goal? Well, it was all a bit It was all a bit kind of quiet and restrained, really, the opening exchanges. We didn't play with a great deal of intensity. But Port Vale were very well organised. And at one point I counted, they had six players in the back. So they cut off what would be our normal, what, what, what um, Everton showed would be a very productive area for us, which is the area inside the fullback. And Mendy was using that superbly against Everton. But we had no outlet there, and we didn't have a player who could create the outlet particularly, because Angelino is just not that sort of player, or Zinchenko or whoever was playing in midfield. We were a bit narrow in that sense, and we, we were playing a bit slowly, and uh, Port Vale, of course, as you'd expect in the first kind of 15, 20 minutes, were you know, full of concentration and uh, full of energy. Do you concur, Dr. Bubbles? Absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, actually, just before our first goal, they were playing with a back uh, six. They had a back six and then three men in front of the back six. So basically, four men across, let's say, the uh, penalty area and two more men, uh, wide-ish or a bit wider, it's very tough to break down a back six and then three very narrow players in midfield straight away makes it tough uh, to, as Colin said, to get around the outside. Uh, but look, they're elite, they're elite too. So we should be able to, uh, you know, to get around the outside. And I think some of it was we were, we did a lot of passing. I have no idea the number of passes. I'm sure you'll tell us later, Mike, possession we had and how many completed passes. But part of me thought, we were just boring them into making the mistake because they're lead two players. They're going to have lapses in concentration and uh, we've got excellent world-class players and we'll make something happen. And part of me thought we were just going to bore them to death um, with our continued uh, passing and the gaps would appear. We would get opportunities. But playing with six at the back, as I said, it's very, very hard to, to penetrate and get behind them. Well, Colin Savage, uh, a gap did appear and uh, it was uh, taken by Zinchenko on the 19th minute. Perhaps you could uh, tell us a little bit about that one. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, one of the options when your uh, path to goal is blocked off down the 
down the middle and, um, you know, down the flanks is to have a go from distance. And, and we'd had a few goes from distance, but Sinchenko took a blast from about 20 yards and it was on target. Uh, he, he, but he had a bit of luck because I think it hit the Port Vale captain on the way in. And I don't think it deflected it to the side, but it just kind of dinked up and uh, caught Scott Brown, their goalkeeper, out a little bit. It kind of He was looking to get, kind of go down to a low shot and it dinked up and just kind of went over his hand, really. That was 1-0 up and, and slight bit of luck. You know, when you have a go from distance, if you get one on target, they've always a chance. And uh, Ray, the, the next goal that happened was on the 35th minute and this was... Uh... Cometh the hour, cometh the man. It's uh, Mr. Pope himself, and uh, I guess uh, a lot of people uh, thought that he would have been um, basically just tracking John Stones and, and waiting for, for for a mistake. But it seemed that, to me that he was a bit more interested in Harwood Bellis. Could you talk about uh, Pope's goal, the equaliser? Look, you've got to give uh, Portville credit. I mean, this is just after, uh, not long after uh, David Silver had hit the bar from about uh, he was about three yards out and he managed to hit the bar and uh, Guerra didn't get the, the follow-up. And, and then Port Vale started an attack uh, down their left. And then they, there's a few passes. So he had Worrell, he passed it inside. It was passed back outside to the left. And then uh, a nice pass straight into the middle of the pitch uh, where there's oceans of space. Uh, just one player, and that was a Port Vale player. Uh, he, he didn't have anybody within at least 15 yards of him. And the ball was then um, continued on its way out to to the right, to the I think the fullback played it down the line, and the winger took one touch, crossed it in. At this point, I mean John Stones was not involved in in this uh, defensive uh, piece at all. Uh, it was really all until Howard Bellis. John Stones had given up on Pope to tell Howard Bellis as the cross came in, Pope ran in front basically of Till Howard Bellis. Till Howard Bellis kind of stood his ground. He knew Port was behind him and possibly you could argue that he needed to turn his body a little because he didn't know where Port was and Port stole in front of him, glanced the header right into the corner. No chance for, for Claudio Bravo. Uh, I'm not having anybody say that he could have saved that. He had no chance whatsoever, uh, right into the corner. It was, it was a, it was a well taken, well constructed and created goal and you can't take anything away from Port. Well, if that had been a goal in the Premier League, you wouldn't have argued about it. I think it had enough quality about it um, to stand as a good goal on its own. That was the cue for wild celebrations from 8,000 Port Vale fans who packed the, the top tiers of the South Stand at the Etihad. And uh, that actually brings me to something uh, slightly off-topic, I guess, uh, Ray, because I've just been uh, editing one of your articles where you were making the point about City and United fans have uh, had their uh, allocations limited to just about um, 2,500 or 3,000? 3,000, 3, yeah, that's a league cup. Yeah. And I was just commenting that, you know, Port Vale fans had 8,000 fans here. I mean, I, I've got to say one thing about the Port Vale fans. Generally, most fans are really well behaved at, at matches and you don't have a problem. But you always get some absolute bellends, and I'm being polite here, who just can't help themselves. It was... Okay, a little bit not distasteful, but naughty of the uh, of the Portville fans to boo up uh, uh, when the teams were announced, and they were booing our subs <laughs> very loudly. Okay, that's a little bit a bit naughty. It's not a big deal. But once they scored, obviously they're going to be excited. They're going to be very happy. They're going to give it some. You expect that. But they were throwing objects, the higher tiers. I mean, it looked like 
a full, or a, a, it looked like a bottle of Lucas in or something like that. Other objects uh, came down on the City fans. Some pretty disgusting hand gestures. It was dis- it was quite distasteful. So that was a bit of a you know a concern. The behaviour of some of their fans. I don't mind, and you expect fans to be very boisterous and to give you give you a little bit back, uh, and which is fine. But I think there's a line, and and, fa- and and too many people went over that line. There were a few arrests made uh, at the end of the game, um, which you think. You know, I think I think what had happened, City had used the CCTV and because you know, the stewards were there. And police came and took a few people away, but I wasn't sure these are the ones who had either been throwing objects or, uh, you know, uh, giving the uh, unsavoury uh, gesticulations. Um, because I, I'll tell you what, the guy—I I actually got uh, some of them on video. He's—he's he, he certainly uh, exaggerating the size of his uh, of his manhood with his actions. It—it was—it was—it was not called for, uh, and I think it. it it was embarrassing for Portville and the rest of the fans who were generally, you know, there to have a good time and were very well behaved. Well, just uh, sticking with that point, um, just about the uh, the capping of the uh, the League Cup um, ticket allocations, away ticket allocations, Colin Savage, because uh, you are on the City Matters Committee, you might know a little bit more than the rest of us. Safety concerns, I mean, is that a reason to cap the, the, the number off? Um, for away fans, both by United and City? Well, for, you know, just having this discussion on uh, the Forever Blue podcast, we knew nothing about it. We weren't consulted. Uh, we're not happy. Uh, and I don't know if anyone saw the the letter that Kevin Parker or, or the, the, the post that Kevin Parker uh, made about this situation. Now, now, for those who don't know Kevin, uh, and I can't, there can't be many, he, he's one of our City Matters committee rep- reps. He represents the OSC, of course, where he's general secretary. Now, the OSC generally has a very good relationship with the club. Uh, and in fact, if, for those who don't know the history, just to explain this, in the Peter Swales era, which we've talked about, there was a split in the official supporters club because there was a group of, of supporters club members who wanted to become involved in the Swales Out movement, not just personally, but as a supporters club. Um, and the official line of the official supporters club was that they won't get involved in club politics. They're only there for the fans. And th- there was a split. And um, for about 20 years, uh, there was there were two supporters associations. Um, there was the Centenary Supporters Association, which did actively campaign against Peter Swales. Uh, and then there was the OSC, which didn't. In the recent past, they've come together again. So now we've only got one official supporters club. But I'm just trying to put over the, the point that the OSC does not get involved, particularly in criticising the club. And it's almost unheard of for Kevin Parker to put out a uh, a message in the way he did, mm. which basically said, um, I'm now beginning to, you know, I always thought we had a good relationship with the club. I'm now beginning to question whether we have or not. And and so let's get that out of the way. There's considerable annoyance amongst us and the OSC. And the same applies to our United counterparts. The uh, United have a similar forum to City Matters and they have um, Manchester United Supporters Trust. And none were, were consulted on this. Even if it was a fait accompli to say, this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. No one was told about this. So, so that's a, a cause of some annoyance. So we want... We'd like to get an answer out of the club, even though we can't obviously affect the situation. But 
if it was about if it had anything to do with the behaviour of fans at the Derby recently, that was home for the the fans that threw things at Fred, the the, the guy who made the alleged monkey gesture. These were City fans, not United fans. You know, I, I'm not sure how restricting the number of away fans um, helps us in that regard. And in fact, again, one theory, and we don't know because the, the club won't come out and say, is that the police insisted on this because it would save them a lot of time and trouble. You know, that's fine, but the club should come out and say that if that's the case. The, the problem is, of course, if you're restricting it, as, as we saw, as Ray mentioned, there were Port Vale fans in home areas on Saturday. And you're talking about a club which only has an average home attendance of 4,500 but who had 8,000 official tickets. So they're getting into home areas. A club like Manchester United or, or City fans that are, who have been denied tickets, and I'm one of them, some of those will be get, buying tickets in United areas because th- there is a considerable number of tickets left at United and the vast majority are in the upper reaches of the East Stand, which is where I think we would have been if we'd had the full allocation of tickets. So... The implication, as far as I can see, is that United had left those areas clear with the intention of having away fans in them. But again, we don't know. So um, all you have to do is buy, apparently all you have to do is buy a 20 quid membership and you can buy a 30 quid ticket. Now, a lot of City fans will find that worthwhile. So you're going to have more trouble, more security concerns, because you will get away fans in home areas. It'll be harder for them to get into the... At the, at the Etihad for the away fans, purely because you you have to have purchase history of, of attending at least three games, I believe. Yeah, but also, home fans could buy two exactly. tickets each. There's people talking about buying, t- you can buy, was it two tickets? So you can yeah. take your United friends. And there are some people, like, obviously you don't know on social media how serious people are, are being, but some people are saying, well, I can buy uh, two home tickets, one for myself, sell one on the black market, and um, your own ticket, yeah. Your own ticket. Uh, yeah. Obviously, if the person you sell it to causes trouble and they get caught, then you've got, you you're in hot water yourself. But on the basis that most people that you sell a ticket to um, would be genuine, you know, genuine decent people uh, who just want to go to the game, some people are just going to end up making a bit of money on it as well. So the types are going to be out, uh, out in force. You know, a lot of these tickets, uh, a fair few will go to touts as well. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it could be a nightmare. And if there uh, is... Uh, we don't know what tickets City is selling officially through uh, travel agencies and other. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I, I'm told, I was told that the only tickets they're supposed to sell in home areas are hospitality ones. But I don't believe that because I think there's blocks of the stadium they were selling through people like Thomas Cook. The worry is it's gonna, there's going to be trouble there. And there's going to be more trouble because there will be more fans in home areas. Yeah. And the club just doubled down by doing this two tickets per person nonsense. Yeah. Because yeah. the, they, they, they surrendered control over it at that point. Yeah. One of the worries for me is as well, if there is trouble, then the club might pathetically use that as an excuse. <laughs> yeah. Pathetic. So they cause, they let, if there is trouble because of away fans in home ends, Okay, that's on the head of the club. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you can argue it's the idiots who are causing the trouble. I'm not pr- trying to preempt this. I'm just saying it's it's the fault of the idiots that are causing trouble. But if you've allowed those idiots access to cause trouble, then you're culpable as well. And then yeah. I, I can just see the way the club. You know, and 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 I'm not going to go through all my article that I've written for Bolt from the Blue live. Uh, Mike knows what it's about. Uh, what it, uh, the, the full article. 
uh, obviously because he's edited it. Um, but the, the worry is that the club will use this in the future to restrict tickets. We'll be having a word with them. We've got a City Matters ticketing working group meeting on the 21st, which I haven't got in my diary, actually, just checking it. So, yeah, we'll be having some words with them over this because we feel we, one of the benefits of having a group like City Matters is fans can give a, the perspective that the club sometimes misses. I, th- I think this is a, this is one of the perspectives that they've missed. I will say this, and I've talked, I'm, I'm going through some of my, my article, but I talked to Colin about this earlier. People join the uh, cup schemes. So City have um, various cup schemes for the League Cup, um, for the FA Cup and for the Champions League. People join something like the League Cup scheme. The League Cup is not a popular cup, let's be honest. You know, we, in a 50,000-seat stadium in a midweek game against a lower league opposition, we might be looking to get 35,000. Um, I guess Burton in the semi-final last season, I can't remember the numbers, but it certainly wasn't uh, anywhere near full. People join the cup schemes for nights like this when you were supposed to get a 10% allocation at the uh, away ground. So we would have got somewhere in the region of 7,500 tickets rather than for a league game, which is 3,000. And generally, those league games, it's the same people going every time. It's done on ticket points and whatever. More similarly, it's the same people going. This was an opportunity for a whole host of different uh, new people to get that opportunity. And in my case, and in several others that I've talked to, it's an opportunity to take your kids who would not uh, be able to go to a game like this. Even if the parent could get an away ticket in the league with their, with their points. The children, you know, especially if they're like my kids, 11 and 12, wouldn't, they haven't got enough points to get a ticket. Uh, so if I could get one, my kids couldn't. This was a, a perfect opportunity to take your kids to games like this. If you're taking this away, people will ask, what's the book? I might save a fiver on a ticket by being on the cup scheme. What's, I, I'm turning around and say, next season, my kids will not be on this cup scheme. There's absolutely zero benefit to them. Because if I want to take them to any game at home, tickets are abundantly available. If I want to take them to the uh, final, if we're lucky enough and good enough to get there, tickets are easily available uh, for that game. So why do my kids need to be on the cup scheme? They won't be. I mean, they don't, they don't tend to go to too many midweek games just because of their age and school and everything else. And uh, there's many people who said, I'm not going to join any cup scheme because of this. Not just the League Cup, but any cup scheme. And there are other things where the, the club, uh, I, 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 you know, we've talked about some of them in the past. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of them in the future where the club, I, I don't believe, um, are being very caring to their local loyal fan base because some people are saying, and I tend to agree in, 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 uh, over some points, they don't need to be because we're, we're City fans. And if you've been sporting City for 40 or 50 years, you're not going to suddenly stop sporting City for reason X, Y, or Z. You'll keep supporting them. Um, so they've kind of got a lot of us over a barrel because, you know, you, you, you want club for life. And it, it just feels more and more that the club, it, look, it's a business. Uh, the local fans contribute less than 10%. The contribution from the local fans isn't going up by much. It's all hospitality. That's where the extra money will come from. You know, fans coming on from package deals. It's the armchair fan. That's where the, the money is for the clubs. That's where they can keep increasing uh, the money that, that goes into their coffers. And, and the local fans are going to keep providing less and less. This season, we're providing less than 10% of the overall income. Next season, I think it could be as low as 7%, 7 or 8%. I feel we, we are valued less and less by the club. And a lot of what the club is doing is window dressing. 
It may surprise you to hear I certainly don't disagree with Ray. And one of the discussions I've had with the club, uh, well, one of the discussions I'm having with the club is trying to get them to think through the consequences of not thinking about local fans. Because in general, I mean, people could, we had a discussion tonight about 18 to 25 year old fans. But in general, we're an older fan base. We've only relatively recently been successful. So a lot of the people have been supporting City through thick and thin, as Ray said, have stayed supporting City, you know, since the, the kind of the dark old days of the of the 80s. So, you know, you, we weren't a club that certainly weren't a club that attracted glory hunters. And I think we've said this before on the podcast in the next, you know, 20 years or so. That older group of fans is going to stop going. It's going to die out, literally die out. People are going to get decide, you know, get to the stage where they, they don't want to go anymore, don't have the energy to go anymore. Or, or, you know, they can't fight their way through crowds or the mobility is not so good. All those sorts of reasons, people, and maybe they're hacked off with, you know, VAR and stuff like that. I, I don't seriously think many people will give up the ticket because of that. Never mind the fans in China, India, USA, wherever. The club's got to be thinking about how do we fill the seats in the Etihad? And, and that is a problem they are having even now. And, and if they don't think carefully about it, they're going to turn around in 20 years' time and see whole hosts of empty seats because they've not focused enough attention or thought enough about how they get people through the door. And you've got to remember, this is a product. I'm basically going through my article now, but one of the important things about this product and this entertainment around the world, besides the football that you see and the players and the managers and whatever, the top, some of the top players in the world, some of the top managers in the world, is, is the fans. It's that atmosphere that you get at Grimes. When you've got three or four thousand away fans out of forty thousand with forty thousand home fans, it's that kind of unique atmosphere you get at English football grounds. And there are other grounds around, dotted around the world, you know, Europe, where you do get a mag- magnificent atmosphere like at Dortmund or and, and a few other places that you can mention. But in England, it is, I think, a wonderful atmosphere. And if suddenly someone like City, we we are regularly five to ten thousand short of a full house. Okay, that's going to affect you, your coffers a little bit. But as I said, you're replacing the local fans with from fans from overseas or more hospitality, which provide more money. So you can do you don't mind losing sometimes a few. But if you're losing five or ten thousand, and your stadium starts to, as Colin said, become emptier, and you're not going to fill that with local fans, or if you're filling it with tourist fans, you're changing the kind of atmosphere there, the, the atmosphere that you get at an English football ground. Will that have an impact on the product that you're selling? around the world. And I'm sure it will do, especially as you're hiking up prices around the world for the product because of the, the, the cost of the television rights around the world is still going up. You're asking overseas football followers to pay more and more money uh, for the for the products. And will that have an impact? I'm sure it, it, it will have some impact. We just don't know how much of an impact it's going to have until maybe uh, 5, 10, 15 years in the future. Guys, uh, there you have it. That was... Um the opinions of uh, Colin and Ray on that particular subject. As I mentioned, and, and what got this all kicked off was talk about those 8,000 Port Vale fans and their wild celebrations for their goals scored by their hero, Tom Pope. They were only level for seven minutes, Colin Savage, because um, Sergio Aguero uh, went through, I think he was put through by Phil Foden. And uh, g- give us the lead again. This goal, this goal was Gundogan lifting it over for Foden uh, out wide right. Gundogan lifts it up 
on the volley to Aguero. Aguero puts it in. To the naked eye, it looked like Foden was offside when that ball was played through to him. Yeah, I think that the I think the linesman didn't flag because we were waiting for him to flag. Yeah. But I thought that Lee Mason had decided that that was offside. But obviously it went to a VAR review. But Aguero didn't celebrate. No, none of the players really celebrated. And Aguero just had that look on his face, and it was almost in front of me that, oh, well, there's no point in celebrating. It's going to be called, you know, it's going to be called back for offside. We're waiting in the stadium, and my son um, sent me a WhatsApp message saying it's a goal. And he's 5,000 miles away in, in Arizona. And um, I, I thought maybe it was a bit late. He'd seen the original one. I said, no, I think it's offside. He said, no, it's a goal, not offside. So he knew, 5,000 miles away, he knew before we all knew. And then, of course, it took a while to review it. And it was a bit of a funny few moments because no one, there was no cue to celebrate the goal, not that there ever is these days with VAR. But everything suggested to, to those of us in the ground that the goal was going to be chalked off. That was a real weird one. Foden definitely looked offside. We all said at the time, oh, he's miles offside. And I remember saying to Matt, who sits next to me, you've got to be careful with those because, you know, sometimes your eyes play tricks on you. And sure enough, they play tricks on us. And Foden was onside when he received that ball, when the ball was played. He was certainly offside when an offside position when he received it, but that's not, that's not how the law works. Guys, the joys of VAR, <laughs> oh. honest to goodness, the effect on your ability to celebrate is just getting Ooh. out of control, isn't it? I think the third goal was even more bizarre in, with the oh, yeah. lack of celebration and the VAR getting involved, Lee Mason, I think, getting involved as well. It, it was very peculiar. Uh, and talk about no celebrations. There certainly wasn't any celebration for this goal. And in fact, it, you ended up with a situation where everybody on the pitch seemed to think it was going to be offside. And then basically what happened, so Foden put the cross in left-footed from the right-hand side uh, Aguero was on the edge of the six-yard area. He headed it back across the box and it came to John Stones. John Stones about four yards out and he just leathered that ball goalwards. And you had Taylor Howard Bellis standing on the goal line. He was literally standing on, on the goal line and it just, it was, the ball was going in, but he, he, there's no way he could uh, get out, get out of the way. I think he tried to move his legs, but it just caught um, the inside of one of his legs and went in. And because he was almost upon the goal line, he thought, well, I'm going to be offside. Everybody thought he was, uh, he was going to be offside. He looked quite, he didn't celebrate. He straight away looked to the linesman. He looked quite sheepish. A few of the uh, Port Vale players raised their hands asking for the offside because Howard Bellis was standing on the line. There was a guy nearby, but Howard Bellis was standing on the line. And um, he got a pat on the head from Stones. He started walking back towards the middle. But I think everybody thought it was off, uh, offside. The, the teams lined up basically for the goalie to take a free kick uh, for the offside. We Once again, we didn't know what was going on. We had absolutely no idea what was going on. And we were, you know, other end of the pitch. So it's even more difficult to, to appreciate what's going on. But uh, when, when you get home, you see the VAR, re the replay, and the guy who was standing next to Fordham, yeah. the fella's heel was just behind uh, Howard Bellis when uh, Stones took the shot. So actually, he was onside. And it was weird. His celebration, oh, he celebrated after VAR confirmed it was a goal. Uh, but I'm not sure he knew how to celebrate. That's his first goal for City. Uh, I think, obviously, it would have been best if he could celebrate it in the moment. But it still meant a heck of a lot to him. Again, it shows up one of the uh, stupidities about the offside law. We're having this discussion on social media this morning that 
We really need to go back to first principles with the offside law because it was designed to stop players goal hanging or gaining an advantage by being in an offside position. And we've already talked about the nonsense of a heel or a buttock or a toenail or whatever being the deciding factor between on being onside and offside. Uh, and that Howard Bellis one was another good example of the uh, how ridiculous the, the rule is because if he wasn't stood there, that shot from Stones is going in. Anyway, he just kind of, he nearly got in the way of it. In fact, he was trying to get out of the way. So so that shot from Stones was going in, and, and no Port Vale player was going to stop it. There was no one near. If Harwood Bellis had been stood in an offside position just in front of the goalkeeper and diverted it past the goalkeeper, that would be fair enough to call that offside because he's had a, a material impact on, on the end result. But he wasn't. That wasn't the situation. He had no, virtually no impact apart from it brushing the inside of his calf, he had virtually no impact on the end result there. Yet, potentially, if that guy's heel hadn't been back, he would have been called offside and that goal would have been ruled out. Was he gaining an advantage doing what he did? No, because the ball was going in anyway and no one was going to stop it. Well, guys, it's very interesting that Foden, of course, had been pretty prominent during this game, played roles in all of the goals at some point and... It was he and Angelino who combined to give City number four. Do you remember this one, Ray? Uh, I, I mean, Angelino, I think I've got to see. I think he played a, a, a decent game uh, as a wing back. He put a lot of good crosses in, uh, I felt. Uh, and it basically, I think it was a very long ball from inside our own half from Ilke Gundogan, who I think had another decent game. He hit that. I mean, Angelino was an outlet, especially in that second half. We could just hit the ball out wide to him and he'd be there. This ball was hit uh, from way out, way back, um, as I said, inside our own half, on the right-hand side, to Angelino on the left. And he controlled it uh, with his chest, wonderful control, to knock that ball forward in his chest. Uh, he knocked it forward with his chest, and then he put a, a wonderful cross into Foden, who was well ahead of the uh, retreating defence, and he just stroked that ball uh, past the keeper, right into the corner. It was a wonderful goal. Who were the prominent performers in this game, uh, Colin? Apart from Phil Foden, I think we can all agree on him. But uh, were there others who particularly impressed you? Uh, yeah, I think. well, I think uh, Foden, obviously, Howard Bellis had quite a good game. He obviously got out thought a bit for the goal, but otherwise he was sound. Gundogan had a good game. Cancelo was quite impressive. The players who actually weren't impressive weren't particularly impressive, were Aguero. I, I saw a report that said Bernardo had an excellent game. I wasn't quite so sure. But um, David Silva and Aguero, for me, were, were the players who you know w- weren't at the races. Now, I'll give them both a free pass because obviously David Silva's not, um, just come back from injury, so he's fairly rusty. And he was a lot better in the second half than he was in the first because in the first half, he missed that absolute open goal from virtually still on the goal line. How he did that? And there was another one in the second half that he should have done better on. And a lot of his passes were completely... His, his passing radar really wasn't working very well in the first half. But to, to give me due, he, he looked a little bit better in the second half. And he's coming back from injury. So let, let's not be too harsh on him. But I think we all know that you know we're seeing the decline of a great player when we see David Silva these days. Sergio Aguero, again, he's come back from injury, but he's had a... You know, he's got a few minutes under his belt. So I, I was very disappointed that considering we were playing a League Two team and he's one of the greatest strikers in the world. And again, 
you know, they were very organised defensively. Uh, and we know that Aguero never does well when he's, or never does particularly well when he's crowded out in, in that way. But uh, he was very, very disappointing. I mentioned for Tommy Doyle, who came on for the last, well, 15 minutes, and, and I thought put in an excellent cameo performance. Really put himself about, uh, was winning balls, and was very positive and assertive. So, so um, that was really good. Can I say something else about Tommy Doyle? After his cameo yesterday, he he turned out for the under twenty threes today, and he's Tommy Doyle's what seventeen, eighteen years old, and he played today again. He played seventy one minutes, I think. He's beat Liverpool under twenty threes one nil with a goal from seventeen year old Jaden Braff. So Tommy Doyle, he can play two games in two days. He's that good. <laughs> there you go, guys. The uh, possession stats were seventy eight percent to twenty two. In favour of Man City, 25 shots to 4, 10 shots on target to 1, 9 corners to 1, 7 fouls uh, to 5. The statistics make it look um, pretty dominant, and uh, pretty dominant it was, we have to say that. What's interesting coming up next is uh, the defence of the Carabao Cup. First leg semi-final against your friends and ours, Manchester United at Old Trafford on Tuesday night at eight o'clock this is quite fun for me because actually i was also uh, following uh united's game against uh, wolves what i'd actually done is i was so tired after work i just put my headphones on and i let the commentary come to me through mark goldbridge on the united stand on uh <laughs> on youtube and it was just so hilarious i mean uh, for, for he's a well, whatever you might say about him, he's a particularly honest Manchester United fan, and uh, just uh, the the pain and the misery that was just coming down the 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 airwaves was um, I, I I found it quite quite soothing, helped me get off to sleep quite uh, quite nicely that one. But um, it wasn't quite um, City when United lose, but it was a dreadful performance by United, and um, augurs quite well for this um, first leg of um, the League Cup semi-final. What do you think, Colin? You're feeling, quite, um, you're feeling quite optimistic about this one. You reckon Pep is going to understand how it is that you play against Manchester United in order to beat them? You should never take um, current form as a good indicator of how you know, teams are going to perform in a derby. A derby is very, very different. That, that's one thing. I certainly won't be taking anything for granted in this game. As we said before, the league derby, man for man, we're a far better team. But that didn't work out 11 against 11. That didn't quite work out that way. But but on the upside, they did beat us. And I, I don't think Pep, Pep won't let that go uh, unpunished, basically. Uh, and I think the players will be up for it this time as well. And I think what we'll also see is, I, I think, this new formation with three at the back, which gives us uh, a little bit more width, will be something we'll see in the game on Tuesday. So I, I, I think we'll see much more mobility. We'll see, I think we'll see Mendy. I think we'll see Walker. Uh, I think Guerrero, having played the full game, I think we'll, say, we'll see Gabriel Jesus starting. And again, he gives us more mobility than Aguero does. So, and it's Old Trafford, of course, which um, more on the front foot than they were at the Etihad for the, for the league derby. Sorry, it's a yeah. fascinating one, this one, Ray, isn't it? Because um, listening to Mark Goldbridge, he was he was uh, opining that um, United are so dreadful at the moment, they've got just got no midfield at all. And he said uh, 
that the the only optimism he had for this game against uh, City was the fact that um, Pep will not play in the way that it takes to really destroy United, which is to to soak up their attacks a little bit and um, understanding, of course, that United really only have a counter-attacking threat. City and teams like City just don't appreciate that because they will play their own way. And in doing so, they're sort of handing a bit of an advantage to United's Poss- uh, fast frontmen. Possibly. Um, I mean, it's... It- I've got to say, I've got to say this up front. It's Man United against Wolves. Is that the sort of game that should have been on t- on TV? You know, where's the giant killing? You know, and it serves BT right. It was BT Sport that had this game. It serves them absolutely right that out of all the games, all the FA Cup games this weekend, can you guess which was the only goalless game in all the games, and which was an absolute pile of poo to watch, which I didn't watch, and. Serves BT right for, for picking this game because you know where's the magic of the cup, the giant killing. You know you want to see stuff games like that where um, uh, low league teams have got a chance to beat the you know the, the the higher teams, the Premier League teams, and BT pick this this game anyway. That serves them right, um, but they won't learn. They'll do it again if United get through, you know through. They'll keep doing that. Uh, we've we've seen it over over many years. Um, look. We're a better team than United. In my opinion, a far better team than United. It's just that this season, we're, you know, we, we do have some wobbles. And I do think sometimes, and this is one of the reasons why in the Champions League we do uh, have a stumbling block, occasionally, mentally, when it's not the, the league, we can have problems. All right, we've lost United in the league at home. But most games, we just batter teams in, in, uh, in the past, anyway, the last two seasons. And we just kind of ignore who we're playing against and we just, you know, put them to the sword. They're the odd team that can get to us and that's usually Liverpool or United. Liverpool because they're a very, very good team and they press very, very hard and United because they're our local rivals. And I think sometimes something occasionally gets into the head uh, of the players. I mean, you know, look, that Centurion season, losing a 2-0 lead at half time to lose 3-2. This game, I think we've lost three uh, uh, home out of the last five uh, derbies with United. But we're a far better team. And as Colin has said, with United going on the front foot, I mean, that suits our counter-attacking style. We will play possession-based, but United will have to, I think, will work hard to press us to try and recover the ball quickly uh, and to make us make mistakes. Um, but I'm very interested to see who's going to start. You know, I'm thinking a lot of the main players who didn't play in the FA Cup most likely will be there. I want to see who's uh, our centre-back pairing because I mean, is that going to be Fernandinho and Eric Garcia? You'd, you'd think it probably w- would be if Ottoman is only just coming back from illness and Stones played this game. I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be very interesting to see if Garcia takes that. And it is, it's a major step up if Garcia gets a game against United. Interesting um, little snippet of information uh, here. I'm just reading uh, from the Manchester Evening News. Now, of course, guys, we all know that Pep has said till he's blue in the face that there are going to be no January transfer windows. That doesn't affect the Manchester Evening News, who are up here with the two players Manchester City are favourites to sign during the transfer window. And who have they got? They've got uh, Koulibaly from Napoli, and they've got um, apparently a young starlet from Villa Villarreal called Pau 
uh, Tories, and it seems that um, the Manchester Evening News are not having any of this nonsense from Pep. Uh, they're going ahead with their uh, speculations, and um, this guy, Pau Torres, never heard about him, and I'm pretty much usually across all of the, the gossip and, and the rumours. Never heard about him before, but I would, uh, I would kill to get Koulibaly in there. What do you think of uh, these little rumours, Colin? Well, the rumours, aren't they? I mean, we won't know through the ink scry of the contract. And, and I'm sure that the last thing that Chiki Bagiristan does, if he does it at all, never mind being the last thing, is to pick up the phone and ring um, the Manchester Evening News or the Sun or the Daily Express or the Daily Mail or whoever and, and tells them his transfer targets. <laughs> That's for sure. And uh, also... There were reports during the week, and uh, I think um, Ray had a little uh, crack with me that um, that this wasn't particularly new news, but it seems that Fernandinho is going to sign a one-year extension. Ray, thoughts about that one? Well, I, I said months ago that I, I expected him to get a one-year extension. I probably said uh, in the summer that is at a level of such fitness, he doesn't look 34. Considering he's our first-choice centre-back at the moment, um, you'd think, well, he's our first choice centre back at the moment. If he was playing as a defensive midfielder, he'd be our first choice there. I can't see us not offering him a, 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 another contract. It's logical, uh, it's sensible to offer him a, a new contract because he's another twelve months because he's playing at, that, at such a, a high level. But there's also there is an issue as well. If you try and stand back and think about it, maybe I'm 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 uh, thinking too much and kidding myself. But Eric Garcia is coming through. And he's coming through um, at a rate or not. So, you know, he's still got four months of the season to go. We don't know how much he'll push through. I, I was looking back through some of my old videos and I saw I did one in the beginning of October and I said I expect Eric Garcia to force uh, Otamendi out of the club. Uh, I think that's going to happen. And, and, and I said we could see a situation where Garcia and uh, Emeric Laporte will be our number one and two centre-backs. Uh, um, Laporte will be number one, Garcia will be number two. Um, next season with uh, John Stones and Fernandinho as backup and tell Howard Bellis as well as he comes through. Then it makes you think, well, if Emeric Laporte is number one and Garcia is number two, then the best Fernandinho can offer is number three. That will also limit the progress potentially of Taylor Howard Bellis. So how many games is Fernandinho going to play? And then if you think the future of defensive midfield as Pep is sticking to is going to be Rodri, even though he's not as good as Fernandinho yet, he will get better. So... Then I start thinking, well, how many games will Fernandinho actually play next season? You know, is he going to be happy playing cup games and, uh, you know, 12 to 15 games in the season? But then he's there as cover as well. And he's been at City for so many years. He's part of the furniture. He's probably really happy here. He's, I don't think he's going to do an Otamendi yet and turn around and say, well, I need to play a lot more games. Otherwise I'm off. So I'm still thinking that he'll be off of the contract. He'll sign it ju just because right now, uh, you know, we need him. And right now he's playing so many games and, uh, probably you know more games than you'd, you'd think he would play because of that uh, Emeric Laporte injury situation. But give it a year's time. I'll ask that question. How many games will he be playing? And I don't think, I think 12 more months, that'll be his last season, purely because Rodri will be so much the number one defensive midfielder and uh, Garcia, Taylor Howard, Bellis and Emeric Laporte will have uh, centre-back, um, you know, um, sewn up. So, I still think he'll get the, be off of the contract and he'll sign it. Mike, you missed out. You've missed out the uh, the one constant. I really do believe <laughs> this year Isco is our man. You know, we'll get him. I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure of it. Yeah. 
And, and I, I'm sure you know Wesley Schneider will be going to United as well. In the- well, I, I think what, one of the one of the other things that I was um, my my interest was piqued by was not not even the usual Isco malarkey, but we've been linked <laughs> with we've we've been linked with Adama Traore. And um, <laughs> I mean, 70 what, what, seventy million um, we would need uh, to get him. An absolutely fascinating character, guys. You know that um, you know he's like he's basically as um, people say he's built like a middleweight boxer and you know runs like an Olympic sprinter. And uh, it was quite funny to see um, pictures of his muscled frame on uh, on Twitter this week and and, and quotes for him um, underneath these pictures saying that he. He doesn't work out. He doesn't use weights at all. He just happens to be like that naturally. And I was thinking, yeah, that's pretty much the case for, for me as well, guys. Well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't well, train. The problem with him is he only scores against City. He's got, was it five goals this season and three of them have been against us. So unless he can play our corner every week, what's the point? You know, he can score about against anybody else. Yeah, he's just for the intimidation factor, Ray. I mean, you've got that flying at you up at the wing. You're going to be... You're going to be um, some, <laughs> somewhat frightened at the sight he's of him. Ju- he's, he's not, he's, he's not our sort of player, is he? No. I mean, really. No. Not really, not really, no. But um, anyway, guys, I think that's everything that um, we had uh, I've got one more planned. Really but uh, what, what have you got? What have you got, Ray? Well, in, in you know, we've seen lots of these teams. Two things, I'm going to say. These teams of the decades and stuff like that have uh, been out and... Uh, uh, I did hint uh, quite strongly that I started my t- Man City team of the decade back in October with polls on Twitter and Man City seemed to have copied that in December. It would have been nice, um, tongue in cheek here if they'd uh, said thank you and give me a mention because uh, they copied that. But it's re- really funny. And it's, it's, it's like, um, the, the, the Manchester news putting out these transfer things. Uh, they got to put stuff out. City have got to put stuff out there, the, their uh, media and social media stuff. And they've got this um, poll going on at the moment. Um, I mean, they copied mine, and they got they done that one. They got a new one now. The the match of the decade. I mean, everybody knows the match of the decade. Um, it was the ninety three twenty moment, the the victory against QPR to win as the title in twenty twelve. So you think that's going to win? So the way they're doing it, I think they're having a round of sixteen. So they've got sixteen matches, and they're just having a poll. Um, you know, a, a face off between two different games, and then the, the winner of that poll goes forward. So they had this, uh, the 93-20 game with the 5-1 smashing of Spurs down at White Hart Lane where Edin Dzeko scored four goals. It's, that's one of my favourite games. Um, but it doesn't compare to 93-20. So the poll was going along quite normally, 87%, I think, for the 93-20. People wondering who'd voted for the, for the other one. How can they get 13%? And suddenly, bang, a lot, lot more votes came in. Apparently, Liverpool fans... Uh, had hijacked the vote, and suddenly it was 54% to the Spurs game. And you'd heard that some Spurs fans had, had jumped on the bandwagon. And so you got this vote hijacked. I don't know what the final uh, result was, but there was over 80,000 votes. There was four hours left of, of this poll, and it was 54% to that game, um, the, the Spurs game rather than 93 20. And I just think, you know, City set themselves up for that. They set themselves up. We all know what the answer is the winner was, why give an opportunity uh, for someone to uh, come and hijack it and mess around? And the, we look a bit foolish because what they're going to do, not put that game forward. You know, if the, the, the Spurs game gets to higher in the poll, are they going to drop the 93-20? So uh, uh, the, one of the most iconic moments 
in the league, not just in a City game, but in the league, is not going to go forward. It is ridiculous. And I think, um, you know, they, they, they try to, to be a bit cute and, and get some, some traction on this. Um, and it's going to blow up in their faces. The other point is, there's been, you might have seen a lot on, on Twitter, a lot of graphs explaining, uh, graphically something, uh, that's gone on in, since football started. So, for instance, I'm looking at one at the moment where, uh, about wages, who's paid the most wages from 2000, from about 1992, the Premier League years to, to the, uh, to now. And then it just shows you, uh, in a, in a, in a graphically or in a bar chart, who's uh, been paying the most. But the one that interested me was the total number of points since the league started back in the um, 1800s. And City, I think City appeared in that list from about 1923 and never left that list. She's not bad for a team that was only apparently uh, created and formed in 2008. Uh, so City have been in that list since, I think, 1923. And United, I'll just mention them because you know, they just happen to be in my head at the moment, they overtook City in the in the eight. I think it was in the eighties that they overtook City, either the eighties or the nineties. So it, they've only had more points than City for a relatively short period of time. So City were, uh, you know, above United for a lot more than sixty years. I mean, I, I don't know how long they've been above United, but a lot longer. We've been above United a lot longer than they've been above us in, ter- in terms of total points. And City, I think we sit sixth in the total number of points. You know, it's since football started in this country. So it's, it's, as I said, it's not bad for a team that, you know, was only formed in 2008. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. I thought what was quite interesting also was the list of uh, points for teams during this decade, the decade that's just passed and sitting nicely at the top above everybody else is Manchester City. Well, guys, we'll have to leave it there uh, for now on the day when uh, we were reviewing the game uh, against uh, Port Vale, Manchester City 4-1 winners into the next round, and on the day when Manchester City finally defeated Liverpool, although it was their under-23s. Nice goal there, I think, from Jaden Braff. So we'll leave it there, and um, we'll just bid adieu and farewell until the next game to our two contributors and and you've been listening to, first of all, Mr. Colin Savage. Colin Savage, thank you so much for coming on. Well, it's good. I'm a bit podcasted out tonight, but um, it's all in a worthy cause. So, <laughs> indeed, indeed, you know which one is the best. You know which one, you're, which side <laughs> your your bread is buttered on. But um, also, well, 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 Ian, Ian very kindly allowed me to give you a name check. So, oh, he did. Okay, fantastic. Well, we, will, I will, I, I'll be. Looking forward to listening out for that one. We've also been listening to Mr. Ray Bubbles from the YouTube channel City Fan TV. Thank you so much, Ray, for coming on. Always a pleasure, Mike. Always a pleasure. Fantastic, guys. Well, we're going to finish off in the normal way. Have one on us and up the blues. It's about time that your mind took a holiday